What's going on, everyone? Thank you all for checking us out this week, hitting that download button, and joining me for another edition of Kicking Out of Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth, and we got a pretty fun show planned for you here this week. We are in the month of October. It is Halloween season, and when it comes to Halloween and pro wrestling, I can't think of anything better than you know, reminiscing on WCW Halloween Havocs of years past, one of the tentpole events in WCW history. And like I've said this year, I'm covering a lot of 1994. There's a lot of hidden gems of 1994, at least in my opinion. I know I might be in the minority, but I feel like there's a lot of good wrestling and some potential for some really good stuff in 1994, back in the day, as they say. And so I thought it would be uh, interesting to cover another WCW pay-per-view event from 1994 in Trading Places form. So this week we're going to be doing Halloween Havoc 1994, Trading Places style. Um, we covered Spring Stampede a few months ago. We covered WCW Bash at the Beach. I thought we would cover this event because there's definitely some, some good possibilities of where certain talents and their trajectory would follow them following this pay-per-view had the results gone the other direction so uh i'm really excited to get into this but before we do just to remind you all we are presence on social media and you need to be a part of the fun facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two hit the like button if you have not already if you have hit the like button please tell a friend to hit the like button that loves to be a part of good feel good pro wrestling discussions not the, the 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 shit you see on the internet with all the, the 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 people who claim that they're experts i'm talking about just fun discussions reminiscing as fans going back and 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 you know discussing your childhood memories of growing up as wrestling fans this is what this podcast is about this isn't about you know what Meltzer wrote on the dirt sheets and what this guy thinks because he's never been in a wrestling ring before and he's never owned a, a, a wrestling organization this is about just the fans perspective in a in a real fans perspective not the smart mark fans so uh tell them to hit that like button and be a part of the fun it's a real fun atmosphere uh the the, the membership is endless as a member of the kick it out at two crew and we try to have a lot of fun here the same goes for twitter strong excuse me the following is not as strong However, um, I, I'm, I'm building towards it. Like I said, I'm, I'm building and building and building, and hopefully um, we can make it as strong as it is over on Facebook. Our handle is at KickingOut2, K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T. And the number two. Um, and don't forget also, Kicking Out at Two is part of the Retromania pro wrestling podcast network that's right we are you can find archived links to the show over at the retromania pro wrestling podcast network on podbean and any other podcast platforms available and with that being said let's get into it this week um you know like i said 1994 very interesting year i've said it in previous uh you know episodes of this show that um you know 94 i feel like has a lot of uh, hidden gems in terms of in-ring quality and some storylines that unfortunately gets lumped into the the probably the, the two worst years in the history of the business um from a creative standpoint as well as a monetary standpoint i'm talking about 1993 in 1995 um 93 was like a real turning point for you know the business going on a downturn uh with the steroids
steroid trial coming up for Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation. Um, you know, it kind of put a black mark on all of wrestling. And I feel like 1994, at least on the WCW side, there was a positive. There was some change. Hulk Hogan had made his way into WCW. You saw some new guys, some familiar faces from the WWF, but new to the WCW audience, mixing it up with some of those WCW, uh, you know, um, stars like Sting and Ric Flair and Art Anderson. So... I felt like WCW was fresh at the time, and it had more of a, um, a, a mainstream appeal and didn't feel like a regional southern wrestling promotion like it had been years prior when they were under the Jim Crockett promotions banner. Um, so with this event here, I ordered the... Well, actually, no, I didn't order this as a kid. I was actually at a friend's house, my buddy Dean. Um, he ordered this event. His birthday falls the 1st of November, and... Um, for his birthday gift, he wanted Halloween Havoc 1994 because he was a big Hulkamaniac. And the main event was Hulk Hogan defending the WCW World Heavyweight title against Ric Flair. Both guys' careers were on the line. It was inside of a steel cage. There was high stakes. I was 11 years old at the time, so um, I didn't know what a dirt sheet was or I wasn't smart to the business, so to speak, like, like most people think they are, even to this day. And so I was kind of... Um, I was kind of anxious and, and, and curious as to, you know, what direction they were going to go in with Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, um, you know, putting the careers on the line, how this was all going to play out. Um, you know, Hulk Hogan being new to WCW just a few months in, and he was, you know, he was, a, he, like I said, he was a fresh face, but a familiar face at the same time, and I felt like, oh man, he can't lose, like he just got here, you know, so, um, you know, we'll get into that scenario in a minute, but there's a lot of, you know, if you've been following along with our Trading Places format, um, you know, I've covered Spring Stampede, Bash at the Beach, and now Halloween Havoc, and... There's been a lot of different interesting trading places, scenarios, and possibilities, and you can find those shows in the archives over at the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, or you can find them over at uh, uh, you know the Facebook uh, page as well as our Twitter page, kicking out it too. You can find the links up there as well. So um, you know, there's a lot of different scenarios I've kind of run by, and like I said, most people would like to categorize this show as like a fantasy booking type show, and you can do that if you want. Um, I don't like to. Um, I would like to think that this is a realistic trajectory of these characters and their storylines had the roles been reversed. Um, and and kind of like reminiscing and following back into the landscape of, you know, the, the storylines in the company at that time. So, with that being said, let's kick things off with the first match from this Halloween Havoc event. It was Johnny B. Bad defending the television championship successfully over the Honky Tonk Man. Now, um, if you recall, um, Johnny B. Bad, at least in, in in the kicking out of two trading places form, he's kind of really built himself up to be an important figure in, in some of these uh, role reversals because, you know, at Spring Stampede 94, um, he was kind of thrown into a random match with DDP, Bash at the Beach 94. He had that television title match with, with uh, Lord Steven Regal, uh, which he had lost. And now, you know, he, he, he's, come, he, he's come a long way, and he ended up dethroning Regal and becoming the TV champion in WCW. Kind of a realistic trajectory that I had pictured had he, you know, stemming from the Spring Stampede uh, episode. So, um, 
you know, here he is with, with Honky Tonk Man for the television title. And Honky Tonk Man, you know, familiar face but fresh face in the in, in, in World Championship Wrestling. And uh, he came after, um, he had a sight set on Johnny B. Bad when he walked in the door in WCW. They kind of had that, um, that, that similar... Um, you know, musical kind of vibe with their gimmicks. Even though Johnny B. Bad wasn't a musician in his character, um, he was very um, artistic and uh, and uh, just kind of had like this, you know, the, the little Richard vibe. And Honky Tonk Man, of course, was Honky Tonk Man. He was the greatest Elvis impersonator in all of the world. So, um, you know, it was kind of natural in some ways at that time that the two of them would meet up. But anyhow, um, history showed us that Johnny B. Bad successfully defended the television championship against the Honky Tonk Man. Now, um, let's let, let's trade places here. Let's say Honky Tonk Man were to have won the WCW TV title. from Johnny B. Bad. Um, we all know Honky Tonk Man's character from the World Wrestling Federation, touted as the greatest intercontinental champion of all time, uh, the, the, the longest reigning intercontinental champion in WWE history. And so um, in 1994, a Honky Tonk Man victory, um, where does he go from this? In 1994, um, I feel like he'd probably still continue somewhat with Johnny B. Bad, but I could see him, uh, you know, defending the TV title on a short-term basis against guys like, uh, oh shoot, let me think, like a Dustin Rhodes, maybe. Um, maybe having a short little program with Sting. Sting was doing a lot of nothing at this time. Um, you know, I could see uh, maybe even, uh, it, had he not been hurt, uh, Honky Tonk Man and Ricky Steamboat for the TV title, kind of renewing their rivalry. It was Honky Tonk Man who defeated Steamboat for the Intercontinental title in the WWF in 1987, following Steamboat's victory over Randy Savage at WrestleMania 3. That's something that they could reignite. Um, but I don't see Honky Tonk Man going very far as the TV champion. I don't certainly see him... Um, with the television title for that 15 months that he had carried the Intercontinental title in the WWF, that's for sure. It was a different time in wrestling, and wrestling was starting to move at a quicker pace, especially in 1994. Um, you know, with with almost you know they were they were they were teasing more monthly pay-per-views, especially in WCW, with the addition of Hulk Hogan uh, to the company. So um, a Honky Tonk Man victory for the TV title. Um, yeah, definitely see him in the short term as a solid TV champion, but I don't see him running away with it for a long period of time. Um, as far as Johnny B. Bad goes in this scenario, had he lost this TV title, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we would get a rematch or two with him and Honky. Um, but uh, moving forward from that, um, 
Maybe Johnny B. Bad moves up to the United States Championship picture. I don't know. Um, you know, Johnny B. Bad was kind of a utility player, at least in my opinion. That you put him in any spot, and it worked, and he was over. People will rip on the gimmick and rip on Mark Merrow, um, you know, for portraying the gimmick. But you know, at that time as a young kid, like he was popular. I watched WCW a fair amount um, in the in the 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 early to mid 90s and when he was on tv man people got into him and he was a he was a, a flashy performer very entertaining and someone that um that uh you know i got into you know when he would when he would be on tv he was a, a big name to you know open the cards for all the big pay-per-view events and you know the tvs so i mean johnny b bad in any kind of role following a loss for the TV title. He would just pick up right where he left off. You know what I mean? It wouldn't really affect him too much. Um, you know, this is 2019. Dave Rosenbluth coming up with this scenario rather than, you know, 1994 Dave Rosenbluth because 1994 Dave Rosenbluth would probably feel like, well, shit, like, you know, he'll be in the TV title picture, but, um, you know, that's really about it. And in 2019, I feel like you can kind of put Johnny B. Bad in any kind of role with the exception of, the heavyweight championship picture and it would make sense <clears throat> excuse me so there you have it um honky tonk man johnny b bad from halloween havoc 1994 moving on another championship match that took place on this card it was pretty wonderful mr wonderful paul orndorff and his tag team partner pretty paul roma um defending the wcw world tag team titles against stars and stripes forever Buff Bagwell, well, I shouldn't say Buff, he was Marcus Alexander Bagwell, and Del Wilkes, known as the Patriot. Um, <clears throat> they had kind of toyed with Buff in a, in a number of roles before. Uh, he was Two Cold Scorpio's tag team partner for a while in WCW. Uh, they tagged him up with Eric Watts briefly um, when Bill Watts was booking. So uh, Bagwell, they had invested a lot in. They looked at him as the future at that time. At least that's how it came across to me and how they had kind of portrayed him on television. Um, you know, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, young upstart in the future of world championship wrestling. I used to hear that all the time from, like, Tony Schiavone on WCW Saturday Night. So uh, uh, this match, um, you know, what wasn't anything to write home about. Um, you know, Orndorff and Roma, like I said, in, in our last WCW trading places when we covered uh, Bash at the Beach 1994, um, I felt like they had to win that match, and it really wasn't, you know, it. they really wouldn't have gone very far had they lost that match to Cactus and, and, and Kevin Sullivan. Um, the, the better scenario... Um, in that situation would have been for Cactus and Sullivan to win and then maybe move on to, like I said, like Colonel Parker Stud Stable because I could picture some really, really rough, good matches between Terry Funk and, and Cactus and WCW in 1994, knowing their history. Um, but it was the more ideal scenario that the two of them won, uh, which would come to be um, in reality, uh, that you know the titles were needed to kind of help put over pretty wonderful because they were a relatively fresh tandem in the tag team scene in WCW so there was there was a, a necessity to um, put the titles on them and help get them over um, <clears throat> excuse me so in this case here uh, you know they defeated uh, Patriot and Bagwell to keep the titles um, and like I said the match wasn't anything to write home about but it wasn't terrible either going back and watching it recently um, 
let's say here that you know history history doesn't treat um bag or i'm sorry orndorf and Paul Roma very kindly, and we, we, we roll reversal here and give the titles to Bagwell and the Patriot moving forward. Where do they go in 1994 as the WCW World Tag Team Champions? Well, they don't... I don't see them, you know, like I said, I don't see the two of them splitting off um, down the line. I don't see any kind of tag team breakup. A lot of people like to, you know, break up tag teams... Um, you know when they uh, when they feel like they've peaked um, and, and move forward. I know that, like I said earlier, Bagwell was being treated as the future of WCW, at least on commentary at that time. Um, I could just kind of see them, you know, you know, as the as the hot babyface tag team working with teams like pretty wonderful again because um, they had some solid chemistry i could see them working with you know the stud stable with uh you know bunkhouse buck and it would eventually you know terry funk would eventually leave and it'd be dick slater that would that would uh, be a part of the mix i could see them doing a, doing a run against the nasty boys maybe the nasty's turning back heel um i could see them working with the harlem heat those would have been some fun matches um but yeah i don't see too much uh, from these two uh, moving forward if they were to have won the tag team titles. Maybe maybe we would get a scenario where they win this one and then they drop the belts back to Roma and uh, Orndorff on an episode of WCW Saturday Night and they kind of flip-flop the titles and, and, and create some kind of tag team rivalry in WCW because at the time, WCW didn't really have an established tag team division, at least in my opinion. Um, you kind of had maybe one or two really true tag teams, and everyone else was just kind of thrown together. Like I said, Cactus and Max Payne earlier in 94 with that, that unbelievable brawl with the Nasty Boys and that Spring Stampede, and then eventually it became Cactus and Sullivan as a team. You paired up pretty wonderful together. Um, WCW really wasn't establishing um, a, a solid tag team scene at that time. They were just trying to get back on their feet, so to speak, and you know they were they were starting from the top and working their way down. So um, you know maybe this would have been a situation where this would have been a a. A solid tag team rivalry with um, Stars and Stripes and Pretty Wonderful uh, moving forward. Like I said, trading the belts back and forth. Maybe we get some kind of two out of three falls match, I, you know, for the tag team titles at a future event. Maybe Starcade '94. Who knows? Um, but yeah, that's that's really where I I see you know th this scenario taking place now on the other side had roma and orndorff lost where do they go well like i said it could be one of those you know classic they could try to create one of those classic tag team rivalries with bagwell and the patriot trading the belts back and forth or we could see something where um maybe you know there's some miscommunication in some of these tag team matches and Orndorf cost them the victory and you try to groom Paul, Paul Roma into a major single star and he's you know he, he, he gets rid of Orndorf and you kind of do the, the the young upstart dumping the the um, the established veteran partner to advance his career you know Roma was pegged as someone at the time that WCW management had some faith in that they wanted to do something significant with. Um, I feel like, and this, and I could be totally wrong, but the perception I have in 2019, um, looking back on it, is that they wanted to right the wrong that the WWF um, had 
had had done to, to Paul Roma. You know, Roma spent a lot of time as an enhancement talent for the company uh, with Jim Powers as a part of the Young Stallions tag team. Um, then he eventually moved on and became more of a a, a major, I wouldn't say major player, but a, um, a, a role player, if you will, in a tag team with Hercules as Power and Glory when they were managed by Slick. Um, their rivalry with the Rockers uh, is probably the only thing of note that, that stands out. Uh, when it comes to Paul Roma and his time in, in the WWF. So I feel like maybe WCW wanted to change that perception of Paul Roma, and that's why they put him in such prominent and important roles. If you remember, um, what Paul Roma's really most famous for amongst wrestling fans is his inclusion in the Four Horsemen in 1993, and it's not seen in a very positive light. So maybe this was WCW's attempt at trying to rebrand and reestablish Paul Roma and make people believe that he was a serious player. So maybe there's the off, off chance that Roma does turn on Orndorff. Um, and, you know, Roma establishes himself as a singles character. But, you know, can he do that on his own? You know, I feel like, and I've said this before, um, Roma kind of needed someone with him uh, to, to be seen as somewhat of a credible threat on television. That's why they put him with Orndorff. Orndorff was very credible. Orndorff, you know, uh, being in the main event of WrestleMania 1 with Roddy Piper against Hulk Hogan and Mr. T. Paul Orndorff was looked at at that time, um, <clears throat> excuse me, as an established guy. So... Um, Maybe splitting the two of them off wouldn't be the best option unless you had a really good backup plan for Paul Roma, um, a manager, a valet, maybe, um, maybe you know, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe another tag team partner. Maybe Roma was just kind of you know using Orndorff to get established, and then he would find himself another tag team partner. Who knows? That's where I see this situation when it comes to 1994 with the tag team championship. Um, you know, Stars and Stripes Forever and Pretty Wonderful. Uh, let's move on. This is a, um, this, this, there's probably not a whole lot I can chew on with this scenario here, but um, the the Sullivan brothers, Dave Sullivan and Kevin Sullivan, um, locked up at this Halloween Havoc event. And, uh, you know, Dave Sullivan was a relatively new character to WCW. Uh, he was, he was a, a, like a little kid in a big man's body. He, um, how could I best describe this character without offending people? Um, he was a much more, he was a, a, a sharper, um, I can't even say that, kind of like, kind of like along the lines of what the Eugene character was, but not, not portrayed as someone you know, with, with special needs and a disability, just rather someone that was, he was an oddball, I guess you could say. You could call Dave Sullivan an oddball, but he was, his character was that he was this huge Hulkamaniac. Hulk Hogan was his idol. He even looked like Hulk Hogan. He wore the red and yellow. He came out in a red bathrobe and a Hulk Hogan baseball cap. He had, a, you know, the blonde hair and the mustache. He was, he, he emulated and idolized Hulk Hogan. And, <clears throat> He played Kevin Sullivan's brother at the time in WCW. Excuse me, I, I, you know, it's that time of year. I have something stuck in my throat. Um, <clears> throat> let me take a sip of water here for a sec. 
I apologize. Um, yeah, Sullivan uh, didn't like the fact that that you know, or I should say, Kevin Sullivan didn't like the fact that his brother Dave was um, was emulating Hulk Hogan, and you could kind of see the. Um, you could kind of see at the time, like on the outside, even though Hogan had his issues with Flair on the outside, you could see, a, you know, what the future um, held for Kevin Sullivan. He had his sights set on Hulk Hogan because he was not thrilled that his brother Dave was infatuated with Hulk Hogan and, you know, idolized Hulk Hogan. So you kind of have an idea where that could have gone. It was very, it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't heavily, um, <clears throat> It wasn't heavily, uh, you know, brought to the forefront, so to speak, uh, when it came to the involvement with Hulk Hogan. Um, but it, it, it kind of left it out there for, to remind you that there's a chance that, you know, somewhere down the line, Sullivan and Hogan, you know, could meet up. D Kevin Sullivan, I mean. And so um, this situation here, Dave Sullivan in, in, in wrestling history got a victory over his brother Kevin at Halloween Havoc 1994. And... Like I said, not a whole lot to chew on here. Um, what does this do for Dave? Absolutely nothing. He was a comedy character. He was a sympathetic figure. Um, maybe, 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 um, you know, as time goes on, uh, the Dave Sullivan character would have gotten a world television title shot, maybe, um, against someone like a honky-tonk man. But... Dave Sullivan's character was, like I said, he was very sympathetic, and you didn't you didn't look at him as someone in the title picture. He was a he was a role player. He was a bit player. Um, didn't have uh, didn't have a whole lot invested in him. Any fan, I should say, didn't have a whole lot invested in him because um, people couldn't take him seriously. So um, he would have probably been like a Hogan sidekick or a tag along for a little while, but that's where his ceiling hits with this victory. And uh, Kevin Sullivan, uh, sky's the limit. Uh, you know, talented performer, one of the, the most underrated um, uh, bookers in all of wrestling history. People talk about, you know, Sullivan um, in ring and what he was able to accomplish. And, of course, you know, his, his behind-the-scenes role in WCW in later years uh, and what he was able to accomplish. Um, you know, Sullivan it probably following this, this loss, or I should say, well, you know, all right. Let me backtrack here for just a minute, okay? Let's trade places because I kind of got carried away with myself here. Um, the, you know, either way, this doesn't do anything for Dave Sullivan, a victory or a loss, okay? He's still going to be Hulk Hogan's tag along. He's still going to be his sidekick. Um, I, I, I will walk back my statement that he could possibly get a shot at the television title for WCW 94. I don't think that's the case. Um, I said it on the Bash at the Beach trading places that... Um, you know, the television title was similar to the Intercontinental title and the fact that it was the workhorse title. Um, the the, the in-ring generals were the ones that, uh, that, that, that held that title and, and made it mean something. Dave Sullivan was not an in-ring general. Like I said, he was a comedy character. Um, he was someone you didn't take too seriously. So a Dave Sullivan loss here would probably make sense in 1994 if Kevin were to have beaten him. Um, maybe, now here's an interesting thought. And I could see this kind of going down in 1994. Let's say Kevin did beat Dave at Halloween Havoc. And, you know, the Kevin Sullivan character was kind of going towards a down a darker path. You know, eventually he would form the three faces of fear with Beefcake and 
earthquake who would become avalanche i'll get into that in you know a little bit and then you would have um you would have the dungeon of doom that was like the that was like you know the beginning and then eventually it would become the dungeon of doom what if kevin sullivan kind of had this mind you know control over dave and he had he 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 played such evil mind games over his own brother and manipulated his brother to the point where his his brother didn't turn against Hulk Hogan, but he didn't side with Hulk Hogan anymore. And Dave lived in fear of his brother, Kevin, and therefore he did anything Kevin asked him to do. And Dave had this, you know, this inner rage inside of him that would come out when he'd reach a boiling point. Um, and Kevin could be the one to kind of light that match, so to speak, and, and get it out of him. And he would do Kevin's dirty work, even though he didn't want to. He'd be so frustrated at the situation because he didn't know how to handle it that he would just randomly attack people and, and like I said, do Kevin's dirty work. Um, that's something I could see in 1994 um, and kind of adding a little twist to the Dave Sullivan character. Um, I think it could be something where it's a short-term thing and then eventually Dave would come to his senses with help from Hulk Hogan and the Hulkamaniacs and he would eventually go back to being, you know, the, the Hulk Hogan super fan, so to speak. But for the short term, maybe after this loss at Halloween Havoc to a Kevin Sullivan, um, I could see some kind of mind control by Kevin and, you know, manipulating Dave to... To, to do all the, the, the dirty work that Kevin doesn't want to do and being afraid of his own brother, but, you know, still acting out um, in a way that's, you know, that's, that, that's not Dave Sullivan's character. You know, he's this lovable, fun-loving, goofy, um, you know, sympathetic figure. And, you know, doing, doing these evil things at the... Um, at the request of his of his manipulative brother Kevin Sullivan is not him, so that's something I could see going down in 1994, um, for sure. Uh, yeah, and that's really all I got to chew on when it comes to this scenario here. Let's move on because this is a this is an interesting scenario. This one is really built. If you've been following, if you've been following not only WCW 1994 but my 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 um, trading places here with Spring Stampede, Bash at the Beach, and now Halloween Havoc, this next match. Um, has been part of a long-standing rivalry between Dustin Rhodes and Colonel Robert Parker. We would see Dustin Rhodes finally get his revenge and defeat Arn Anderson one-on-one -on -one at Halloween Havoc 1994. Um, like I said, at the time, it was, you know, goes back to, you know, um, Dustin and Steve Austin, in a sense, a year prior. Um, he was a representative for Colonel Parker's stud stable, and uh, he, um, you know, Parker was throwing everything in his way. Eventually, Bunkhouse Buck, Terry Funk, Arn Anderson would turn on him just because Arn Anderson was a bad dude at the time, and Arn Anderson didn't give a shit, and Arn Anderson joined the stud stable, and then Dustin had to, you know, uh, rely on the help of his father Dusty who wanted to settle an old score with an old rival in Arn Anderson and then the Nasty Boys would get involved because they just like to fight in general and then they had the big blow off at the war games a month prior so this was like the final straw so to speak um, 
you know, the, the, the final nail in the coffin in this rivalry, this long-standing rivalry, which was pretty good. I remember in 1994, um, I enjoyed the, the Colonel Parker-Dustin Rhodes kind of rivalry. Um, like I said, history showed us that Dustin would defeat Arn Anderson, and it was, a pretty, it was a pretty good match. But let's just say that, you know, Arn Anderson um, picked up the victory over Dustin Rhodes. In 1994... I don't see it happening because Dustin's character had gone through so much and he had to overcome so much adversity at the at the hands of Colonel Robert Parker and the stud stable that another loss I don't think would have helped him at whatsoever and it certainly wouldn't have done anything for Arn Anderson. Um, you know, Arn Anderson at the time, like I said, he was a part of the stud stable, but he was loosely associated with Ric Flair, um, who we'll get to in a, in a moment. Um, and so maybe, maybe Dustin's victory um, results in Arn Anderson, uh, you know, leaving the stud stable. Maybe he's like, you know what? I had enough. Like, you know, you, you, you hired me to do a job and, you know, you got in the way. Maybe, maybe Colonel Parker accidentally cost Arn the match. Um, and, and maybe Arn Anderson says, you know what? Screw you. I'm done. I'm out of here. And he walks out. Um, and he's done with the stud stable. Um, like I said, history showed us Dustin would get the victory over Arn Anderson in this match. Arn still remained a member of the stud stable for a, a short period of time uh, following this. But maybe, you know, altering this finish, so to speak, instead of trading places, if you will. Uh, maybe Parker costs Anderson the match and Anderson just kind of, you know, says to hell with it. I'm done. And he kind of, you know, is an island unto himself and he moves on to something else. You know, maybe uh, a U.S. title or a TV title. Um, or maybe he gets involved in the, the, the Ric Flair Hulk Hogan situation. Like I said, loosely associated. So, um, <clears throat> but if Arn Anderson were to have won and defeated Dustin Rhodes, um, this doesn't do anything for Arn Anderson. It really doesn't. Arn Anderson was an established guy in WCW. He was, uh, you know, he he was a, a a major name for the company at the time, at least in my opinion. Um, he was it was it wouldn't have it wouldn't have benefited his character to defeat Dustin Rhodes because they had already done so much to Dustin Rhodes' character, um, the stud stable. They had already you know beat him down and he you know Arn already turned on Dustin at Bash at the Beach and you know they had their wars and maybe Fall Brawl should have been the final payoff for this storyline with the two but um, Dustin got the victory and <clears throat> it didn't really do much for him going you know moving forward. Um, I mean he kind of continued this rivalry with Colonel Parker after the fact. Um, when Colonel Parker would eventually bring in the blacktop bully, who was Barry Darcel, former uh, Repo Man, former Smash from Demolition, and they had that riveting uh, King of the Road match where they fought in the back of a of a truck on a highway um, in, in, at WCW Uncensored 1995 in, in March, uh, just a few months later. Um, so. Uh, yeah, there's, you know, I thought there was going to be a lot more to chew on with this scenario, but there really isn't because um, Arn Anderson wouldn't have benefited from this victory and Dustin Rhodes, it would just made things worse with his character. And I feel like um, even, even though Dustin Rhodes was in a consistent storyline with Colonel Robert Parker, um, you know, 
I felt like even with the help from his father and the Nasty Boys, he was still fighting an uphill battle. You know what I mean? Um, so it, it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for Arn Anderson to pick up the victory um, in this case here. So I, th- I thought I thought I had a little more here for you guys, and I apologize. But, um, yeah, in this case, um, Arn Anderson really doesn't do anything you know, with this victory. Um, let's move on. Uh, the United States Championship was on the line as Hacksaw Jim Duggan would defeat stunning Steve Austin to retain the United States title. It was a month prior that Austin and Steamboat were scheduled to meet at the Fall Brawl pay-per-view. Steamboat, unfortunately, had a career-threatening back injury and he, would know, he wouldn't be able to compete. And therefore, Austin would have to wrestle Duggan for the vacant United States title. Duggan was a surprise. He made his WCW debut. Um, and Duggan picked up a quick victory over stunning Steve Austin. And then we move on to the rematch here at Halloween Havoc. Um, yeah, let's just say Austin got that victory back and won the United States title. Where does stunning Steve Austin in 1994 go from here? Um, I kind of mentioned it on uh, our Bash at the Beach episode. Um, Stunning Steve Austin and Sting had some appeal to it. Even as a kid, I thought like, oh, that'd be kind of cool if they wrestled each other. Um, And, you know, Sting was not doing a whole lot at this time. He really wasn't, which was kind of sad because he was the face of WCW. He was that franchise player. Um, and when Hulk Hogan came in, he took a serious back seat. He went into the trunk of the, of the car, so to speak, um, instead of driving it, or at least being in the passenger seat with Hogan. And so, um, even I, I can't I, I don't know I, I in 1994 I mean Duggan is the United States champion all right I get it um, they wanted to have an established name that was that was well known and WCW's rebranding itself so they were using familiar faces from the WWF to kind of help in that rebranding um, Duggan was brought in I'm sure with with influence from Hulk Hogan like a lot of guys. And so um, I get and understand why they put the United States title on him. But let's just, you know, Duggan was like along the lines of that Dave Sullivan t- kind of character. Um, he was sympathetic, but at the same time, you didn't take him a whole lot seriously. Um, he could be goofy. Um, but at the, but uh, on the other side of it, he also had credibility because of his time in the World Wrestling Federation. So... Um, Steve Austin kind of sneaking, sneaking away with the United States title in 1994 could it's possible it's very possible um because duggan um like i said i didn't see duggan as a long-term figure with the united states championship moving forward duggan could duggan's another role player utility player so to speak you put him in any spot and he's there and you know it, it adds some credibility to it because of his name value and what he brought over from his time in the world wrestling federation so um Duggan losing the United States title, you could just kind of slot him anywhere. You could put him in a, in a role, um, you know, that, that that people can buy and get into, like his, you know, like maybe in association with Hulk Hogan down the line, you know, maybe, um, maybe uh, the the uh, you know there there's a partnership because you know Hogan had teamed with Duggan uh, numerous times in the WWF for little one-offs, so it's very possible that we could see Duggan kind of sidekicking, um, being a sidekick to Hulk Hogan. Um, we could see Duggan move on to something else, working with a big guy like Vader, which eventually he did um, at Starcade '94, but as the United States Champion. Um, so. 
Duggan doesn't really suffer a whole lot of loss here from losing the United States title because he'll be a, he'll be a, a, a part of the picture, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things when it comes to storylines in WCW in 1994 and beyond. Um, Steve Austin, like I said, U, U.S. title, he had done it before, but. Um, he was just missing something. He really was. He was just missing something. He was. He couldn't get over that hump, so to speak. And so, if if, if Austin were to have won the U.S. title in 1994, um, the 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 easy route would be well, pair him up with Sting, um, because you know this could be a major, major, major rivalry for him to uh, to 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 really get him over and and be a, a, a one of the top major players. Like I said, the United States title at the time was recognized as the automatic number one contender to the world heavyweight title. So um, <clears throat> stunning Steve as U.S. champion working with an established main event player like Sting in 1994 would have given Sting something to do, and it would have made for um, a, a very interesting, uh, you know, semi-main event on, on future events, future pay-per-views going forward. So... Um, that's kind of where I could see Austin going um, as the as the United States champion. I'm sure that he would have some matches with like a Johnny B. Bad and, and maybe not maybe trade the title, but um, you know have have a series of, of matches on TV, maybe leading to a pay per view with Johnny B. Bad. Had Johnny B. Bad lost the TV title. Um, Steamboat's injured, so you can't put him in there with Steamboat. I wouldn't see him working with Hogan just yet in '94. Yeah, that's kind of where Steve Austin stands when it comes to. Uh, you know, his trading places victory over Hacksaw Jim Duggan had that been the case in 1994. Uh, let's move on here. A match that took place for the third pay-per-view in a row um, in a singles match. We had Vader and the Guardian Angel. Now, we've talked about this. Guardian Angel was once the boss. The boss got stripped of his identity at Spring Stampede 94 following the match with Vader. They had the match at... Um, Bash at the Beach, 1994, and Vader picked up the victory there. Um, they were a part of a triangle match with Sting at Fall Brawl a month prior in, in September um, before this event to determine the number one contender to the WCW World Heavyweight title. Even though they used to recognize the U.S. title as the number one contender, um, they had this triangle match. Vader was an, ended up victorious, um, but he still had his issues with the Guardian Angel. Um, and then we move on and we have another singles match between these two. Like I'd said at Bash at the Beach, if a Guardian Angel had picked up this victory at that, at that event leading to this, you kind of have that rubber match. Um, there's really no appeal uh, when it comes to a Guardian Angel victory at this moment in time in 1994 had he defeated Vader because Vader already defeated him twice and Vader already had a... A, a title shot lined up. Commentators had made that very clear. Vader is the number one contender to the world title. He's going to face the winner of the cage match between Hogan and, uh, and and Ric Flair, you know, at a later date. So I feel like, um, yeah, there's not a whole lot I could chew on with this one either. I'm really, I'm really kind of giving you guys a. a, a a, a shitty trading places here. Uh, let, let me think for a minute. Let me think for a minute. Um, Guardian Angel defeats Vader in 1994 at Halloween Havoc. Finally, what does Guardian Angel do following that? Well, you can kind of, you can kind of 
make the excuse that, well, now he could be in line for a title shot because he beat the number one contender, uh, Vader. But I don't think they would do that in 1994. Um, who else does he work with? I don't know. Another utility player. Throw him in a role, and it, you know, with his name value and credibility, it kind of works at that time in 1994. Um, Vader suffering a loss to the Guardian Angel. Well, Vader, you know, was such a good monster heel that he could get that heat back very quickly by just pummeling someone. Um, so maybe Vader, maybe Vader losing. And then, like, a post-match beatdown on the WCW champion following um, the cage match at, the, at this pay-per-view could be something to kind of get Vader's heat back and then, you know, jump into the next angle with Vader and the champion because the, 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 the championship match was a career match, so someone was going to be leaving. Um, but the Guardian Angel doesn't do a whole lot. Uh, following a victory in 1994, uh, realistically speaking. He just kind of bounces around, um, you know, kind of providing his law, order, and justice to all the bad guys in WCW. Maybe, maybe we see the Guardian Angel working with the Honky Tonk Man um, at a brief little TV title feud. Um, they had some history um, in WWF working with each other, Honky Tonk Man, the big boss man, so it's not... Um, out of the realm of possibility to throw the two of them at each other. Um, but yeah, Guardian Angel doesn't really make it very far in 1994. So, or at least I should say, doesn't do anything significant following a victory over Vader. You could, like I said, you could make an argument that he beat the number one contender and maybe you put him in line for a title shot or you totally disregard that, which WCW was known for doing at the time, and you just kind of move him onto something a little less meaningful. Um, and Vader, you know, who was the recognized number one contender over, you know, uh, with that victory over the Guardian Angel and Sting at Fall Brawl 94, you move him on to the title picture, and that's that. Um, yeah, sorry, guys. <laughs> Two in a row where it's like, you know, all right, come on, give me something good here, you know. Um, we're moving on here. Tag Team Championship match. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, it was just a regular tag match. It was the Nasty Boys as they defeated the Stud Stable, representing Colonel Robert Parker of Bunkhouse Buck and Terry Funk. Um this match was a lot of fun to watch as a kid. It was kind of wild. It was all over the place. Um, they incorporated the Halloween theme by, uh, you know, uh, Jerry Sags uh, delivering a pile driver to Terry Funk on a pumpkin and smashing the pumpkin. At that time, the Smashing Pumpkins band was, you know, just really starting to get, you know, some steam behind them, and they were red hot. So when Bobby Heenan delivered the line about smashing pumpkins, it was, uh, it, it, it certainly got a pop out of me and, and my buddy Dean when we were watching it because, uh, you know, Dean's a big musician. And, uh, you know, he had that Smashing Pumpkins CD. So we were like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, you know, Bobby Heenan referencing the Smashing Pumpkins. But um, anyhow, um, the Nasty Boys in 1994 at that time, they were known for their wild style of wrestling and the matches that they had with the likes of Cactus Jack and Max Payne and then eventually Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan and then getting themselves involved in the Dustin Rhodes um uh, Colonel Parker stud stable storyline where they backed up Dustin and Dusty in the war games match against the stud stable. That was a lot of fun. So there's this kind of a, um, a continuation of that, so to speak with the nasty boys over funk and buck. Um, what, what, what takes place 
um, had Bunkhouse Buck and Terry Funk defeat the Nasty Boys in 1994. Um, Nasty Boys are popular, so it doesn't hurt them necessarily, per se. Um, I could probably see another rematch between these two, um, you know, with a little bit more of a, a, a no disqualification kind of stipulation, maybe a false count anywhere, maybe even, uh, you know, maybe even a cage match at some point down the line. Even though at that time, in 1994, gimmick matches were few and far between because they had some meaning to it. So I can't see WCW throwing them in a um, uh, uh, another cage match, especially if there's a cage match on this pay-per-view, Halloween Havoc 94. But um, I could see Bunkhouse Buck and Terry Funk stealing a victory over the nasties and we kind of continue this rivalry maybe they do like some sort of like they incorporate colonel robert parker's um you know stud stable and that very like southern cowboy kind of theme and they do like a bunkhouse match or they have a match like literally like on a like a horse stable you know what i mean like i could see something like that you know terry funk owned um you know horses at the at the the double cross ranch in amarillo texas um you know he 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 has uh he, i think he still does to this day um own horses and uh you know has a big piece of property out there and so i could see something in 1994 where wcw would spend a lot of money to um have a match take place on funk's ranch uh, with the Nasty Boys against Bunkhouse Buck and Terry Funk, that'd been that'd been something kind of cool um, to to witness because um, as as crazy as some of the match concepts were for WCW over the years and what they get remembered for, and they get a lot of bad flack for um, some of the the match creations that they've put out. They get, they take a chance on some stuff. I will say that they try things. They're not afraid to try stuff, or they weren't afraid to try stuff. I should say. So I feel like. A continuation of this rivalry in like a stud stable match or like a a, a, a double cross ranch, uh, you know, uh, Amarillo street fight of some kind, you know, on location, um, a part of a clash of champions or maybe even a part of the Starcade event um, where they go on location. That have been something, you know, uh, interesting to see. Um, you know, it's very similar to the way that WWF produced the Hollywood Backlot Brawl for WrestleMania 12 with Piper and Goldust. I could certainly uh, see something like that going down. Um, if the Buck, if Buck and uh, Terry Funk picked up the victory, um, it's very plausible for them to not have anything to do with the Nasty Boys moving forward, and maybe they go for an opportunity at the tag team titles. Maybe you see. Um, the two of them face off against Bagwell and, uh, and and Patriot. If Bagwell and Patriot were to have defeated, pretty wonderful. Uh, you never know. Um, it's 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 more of a um, it's more of a likelihood though that um, we would see some kind of continuation with the Nasty Boys. Although, like I said, WCW didn't have an established tag team division. They really didn't. They had like two really you know tried and true tag teams and everyone else was kind of thrown together so um it wouldn't be out of the the, the realm of possibility maybe buck and funk defeat bagwell and the patriot bagwell and patriot are the transitional champions and then they move back to the nasty boys and the stakes are even higher in their rivalry this time the titles are on the line so um the nasty boys where do they go from here in, in with a loss um Either you know continuing this rivalry with Colonel Parker Stud Stable, or um, 
you know, I could see them moving on to something with Harlem Heat, or I could see them moving on to something with maybe Pretty Wonderful. Eventually, they would move on to Pretty Wonderful and compete for the tag team titles um, later that year. So there's not um, there's not anything that the Nasty Boys are going to lose significantly from losing this match at Halloween Havoc. Had that been the case. If anything, both teams have solid trajectories um, after this match, whether it's them together or them separated and moving on to other stuff. I feel like in 1994, they have some solid trajectories here. Um, which now brings us to the main event. Um, you know, it was a career match for the WCW World Heavyweight title inside of a steel cage. Mr. T was the guest referee. You had Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan one-on-one -on -one. you know we've we've discussed a lot of different scenarios with the two of them with bash at the beach some with with some of their involvement in you know uh the, the spring stampede event back in april um hogan's introduction to wcw was was done in a way to help rebrand the organization and uh you know him winning the title on the first night was a part of that process um it made sense um even though the old school wrestling fan in me would have been okay with Hogan not winning the title and then chasing after Flair and creating that big moment. Maybe it would lead to something like this, this cage match, this career match, so to speak. Um, history saw that Hulk Hogan would end up defeating Ric Flair to become the, you know, to keep the world heavyweight title and to send Flair into retirement um, in this cage match. And there was some doubt going into it with Mr. T. Um, where did his allegiance, where did his, where did his allegiance lie? Was he, you know, even as the referee, he was, you know, recognized as a Hogan friend and supporter. However, they tried to create some doubt, which I thought didn't, it didn't work out very well. But they tried to create some doubt of of Mr. T's. Um, uh, referee status when they had showed footage of T leaving uh, Michael Jordan's steakhouse in Chicago with Ric Flair um, and they, they showed that footage and they tried to, to make us believe that there was a chance Mr. T could screw Hulk Hogan even though they had a friendship. Um, I don't know how smart that was per se because like I said T was already established as a Hogan friend and supporter. He, 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 he brought him down to the ring at Bash at the Beach 94 um, against Flair in his debut WCW match. So um, I think as a fan, it was even kind of hard for me at, at 11 years old to um, believe that Mr. T had a, had, would have a hand in, in uh, costing Hulk Hogan his career and the championship against Ric Flair in that match. So, um, you know, post-match... Hogan um, had some issues with a masked man, and for weeks heading into this, you know, this pay-per-view, or should I say, a few months, Hogan was fighting off any masked man that Flair and Sensational Sherry were putting in front of him. Um, you know, if you remember, the WCW did the Tanya Harding angle where they they had a masked man come out and they injured Hogan's leg at Clash of the Champions in August of that year. And Hogan came back with, you know, barely on one leg, walking from the hospital, according to the announcers, to defend the title against Flair. And he would lose via countout, resulting in this match, the rematch here for the, the, the title career, career versus career in the cage. And... Um, they, you know, for weeks, Hogan would try to figure out who this masked man was. And post-match um, came, and this masked man um, 
revealed himself, or at least Hogan revealed him. He attacked Hogan post-match. Now, there was a couple of masked men, too. Um, the announcers even played it up on TV that, you know, Arn Anderson was probably the other masked man um, based on, you know, um, the way um, he moved around in the ring when he got involved. And it was clear as day that it was Arn Anderson to the point where, like, Arn Anderson was wearing his wrestling boots um, over, you know, underneath his sweatpants and, and, and the, uh, the, the all-black disguise. Um, and it was it was only a matter of time where, like, as a kid, I felt like, oh, well, they're just going to take the mask off. It's going to be revealed to be Arn Anderson. But they threw me for a loop. And at 11 years old, uh, it was revealed that Brutus Beefcake, Brutus, Brother Bruteye, as they called him, because they couldn't call him Brutus Beefcake, um, was the man in the mask that had been uh, attacking Hulk Hogan at random for several months leading up to this point. So um, this would also reveal... Um, Kevin Sullivan's dark side, if you will, when he would come out and help attack, Brut help uh, Brother Brutai attack Hogan, and then we would see the debut of the Avalanche, um, who was known as Earthquake in the WWF. And then this is where Sting would come in, and this is where they had Sting um, play a more prominent role on TV. Sting would make the save for Hogan, and the three faces of fear would walk off. Ric Flair's career is over, and Hulk Hogan's still your champion, but he's 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 left in a bad way as Halloween Havoc 94 went off the air. So, now that we've gotten to all that, what happens if, uh, what happens if, uh, you know, we, uh, we see, um, you know, Ric Flair defeat Hulk Hogan? win the WCW title, keep his career, and Hulk Hogan is no longer in World Championship Wrestling. All right, realistically, in 1994, I don't think that's happening because Hogan was just new, and, uh, you know, WCW was really trying to establish themselves in the wrestling world, and they weren't going to... Um, they weren't going to put... Um, Hogan's career on the line and take away uh, one of their with arguably their biggest star who was relatively new to the company in such a short period of time um, however thinking about this for a minute here um, history showed us that when Flair lost he disappeared for a few months and then they brought Flair back um, in February at the Super Brawl event to be involved in the Hogan-Vader championship match. And Flair, um, then Flair would eventually get reinstated. The storyline was, was that Hogan and Randy Savage um, begged Nick Bockwinkle and the WCW championship committee and the executives at Turner to reinstate Ric Flair back into WCW because they wanted to get their hands on him and they wanted to finish him once and for all. So with that being said, Maybe realistically in 1994, we could see Ric Flair defeat Hulk Hogan, win the title, keep his career, and Hogan's no longer with WCW. Why? Well, I mentioned earlier, the masked man, Brother Brudai, forming the Faces of Fear with Kevin Sullivan and Avalanche. Maybe they're the reason why Hulk Hogan loses the, 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 the career match inside of a steel cage. Maybe we see... You know, maybe we see the masked man slide the, the, the nightstick or the pole or whatever into the cage and help Flair win. Um, 
you know, and, and, and Flair leaves, and then the masked man goes to attack Hogan post-match and kick him while he's down, and then Hogan, um, you know, takes off the mask, gets revealed as brood eye. The three faces of fear show up, Sullivan and Avalanche, they beat him down, Sting makes the save, we go off the air with Flair wins the title, Flair keeps his career, Hogan's best friend turned on him, cost him the title and his career in WCW, where do we go from here? Um... I could see something logically in 1994 where, um, you know, maybe, maybe Sting lobbies for, um, you know, Hulk Hogan's return. Maybe Sting, you know, lobbies to the championship committee and says, you saw what happened. These guys screwed him. He deserves to be here. You know, he's, 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 uh. You know, he's Hulk Hogan. He's the biggest star in wrestling. WCW needs Hulk Hogan right now. You know, Sting could be like his number one supporter. Um, and then maybe that would result in, you know, a Hogan um, butcher uh, match at uh, Starcade, uh, but without the title on the line. Because as we saw in 94, Hogan would eventually face the butcher and put the title on the line. And that match was... As, as wrestling fans would like to say, the drizzling shits. Um, now, Flair winning the title, keeping his career, Vader recognized as the number one contender. Um, you know, Flair's a bad guy, Vader's a bad guy. They're not going to do two bad guys against each other, and they're not going to turn either one of them um, in 1994, going into 1995. So I feel like... Um, I feel like Vader will probably get his title shot held off, and maybe we see maybe we see Hogan and Flair, um, you know, for the title in a rematch at Starcade. Hogan wins; he gets his career back. Or maybe they already give Hogan his job back with like a petition, like Sting gets a petition for fans to sign, and then the championship committee is presented with this, and then they reinstate Hogan. Hogan gets his opportunity at Flair. Um, and regains the title. Um, that's that's the po that's a possibility as well. Um, but you know, I'm kind of 50-50 on 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 this scenario here because, like I said, realistically Hogan was fairly new, and WCW I don't think was going to pull the rug out from under us as fans and take away Hulk Hogan like that. Uh, but at the same time, they they took away Ric Flair, and then they brought him back like two two months later. So. Um, the possibilities, I guess you could say, are there. Um, this could lead to a number of different things at Starcade. I would, I would imagine, like I said, Hogan Flair possibly, maybe Hogan and Butcher. Maybe we see, maybe we see Hogan and Sting and you know Dave Sullivan against the Three Faces of Fear. We saw it at the November Clash of Champions in '94 that year, but maybe they saved that for Starcade. Maybe that's the match for Starcade, and then maybe they go somewhere else with Flair as the champion. Um, like I said, I can't see him and Vader. Maybe they hold off Vader's title shot for a little while. Maybe they put Flair, um, or maybe Hogan wins the title back from Flair at the November Clash of Champions. They move Flair onto something else, and then you have Hogan as the champion in a six-man with Sting and Dave Sullivan against the three-face Saphir at Starcade. Vader, still the recognized number one contender, can do that post-match interview where he barges in Hogan's locker room and basically says, I'm coming for your title. Then you set up Super Brawl that way between Hogan and Vader. Um, yeah, the, that's something that, that's realistic in 1994 in, in terms of, uh, 
you know, uh, WCW in the landscape of their storylines. Um, and I think that about does it this week here uh, for our Trading Places series. Uh, thank you so very much for joining me um, for this Halloween Havoc 1994 Trading Places series. Uh, I've been having a lot of fun doing WCW Trading Places and uh, hope you guys have too. Um, be on the lookout next week as we're going to continue the Halloween Havoc theme, but we're going to do a special Halloween Havoc watch party. That's right, where we're going to we're going to go on we're going to we're going to watch Halloween Havoc 1997 on the WWE Network. So have your WWE Network fired up and ready to go. Uh, some great some great moments from that Halloween Havoc: the classic mask versus title, Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio, the lights out. Um, you know, non-sanctioned Vegas street fight between Diamond Dallas Page and the Macho Man Randy Savage. You had the god-awful um, steel cage match with Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper, non-title, by the way. Um, you know, and uh, so much more on that card that we will discuss and we will watch all together on the WWE Network. So be ready for that next week. Don't forget, you can find archived links of Kicking Out It Too, as well as all the other great shows on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network by searching Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network over at Podbean. Uh, you can find links to this show kicking out at two on our social media facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two as well as our twitter our handle is at kicking out two k-i-c-k-n-o-u-t and the number two and you know what i think it's about that time that we put this show down for the three count there's no more title changes there's no more careers ending we have a clean finish one two three in the middle and we will see you all next week <laughs>